Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle Curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Doodles are often sought out because they are marketed as confident, friendly, and mild-mannered dogs who also don't shed. Of course, because doodles are a mixed breed, these characteristics cannot be guaranteed. You might have a doodle that sheds lightly, a doodle that sheds a lot. You might have a doodle that's very hyper and has a hard time holding still for anybody to pet it. You might have a doodle that's super licky. You might have a doodle that's shy and not interested in visiting others that it doesn't know. So because doodles are a mixed breed and characteristics can vary between the type of doodle and even within a certain type of doodle, it's important to recognize that no doodle is naturally a service dog or a therapy dog. And at the same time, a doodle that might be super hyper, you know, in its first three or four years might mellow out later in life and be able to do certain therapy dog tasks or visit certain venues and do a great job. And many other breeds and mixes can be excellent therapy dogs too, or not. Today I'm chatting with Elizabeth Van Every from Pet Partners International. Pet Partners is the largest and most prestigious nonprofit registering therapy dogs and other therapy animal pets. In this episode, we discuss all there is to know about the work that therapy dogs do, what makes a good therapy candidate, and the differences between a therapy dog, an emotional support animal, and a service dog. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Elizabeth, and welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to have you. I have done some therapy work with one of my late Labradoodles, and I know a lot of people are interested in therapy work, and so I'm excited to hear more about you and Pet Partners. Can you tell us what your role is at Pet Partners? I am the communications and outreach coordinator with Pet Partners. I like to tell people that I have a really great job because I get to tell the stories about what our therapy animals do. So I I do a lot of work, a lot of outreach work talking about what Pet Partners does, what our volunteers and our teams do. And I also coordinate media appearances like this one uh, and other opportunities for people to learn more about what we do as an organization. Awesome. I am excited to learn more. But first, tell me your history with dogs. I have pretty much grown up with animals. There have been animals in my home most of my life. Um, we had dogs when I was very, very small. When I when I got to be uh, older, it was either cats or for a short time, no pets when I was a young adult starting out on my own. Um, but we did have a delightful tiny toy poodle when I was a teenager who was the smartest and most clever animal I've ever lived with. She constantly outwitted the humans. (laughs) And then for the the past decade and a half, I have lived with a succession of German Shepherd dogs. Uh, The the first one came with my husband when we got married. She was part of the deal. uh, And we have continued to have German Shepherds throughout that time. So I... 
I have always loved dogs. They just weren't always the right fit for my life. We also have cats. Mm-hmm. I am a, I, I used to call myself a cat person. Now I call myself just an animal person. I love all animals. Um, but yeah, our, our, our German shepherds have, have been a, a constant for us for the past several years. And the one we have currently has potential to become a therapy dog mm-hmm. where he has the perfect temperament for it. We're still working on the obedience portion. <laughs> that may take a little time, but it, but he has he has the most important thing, which is that temperament. That's the piece that needs to be in place. Once you've got that, you can work on the obedience and the other stuff. If they don't have the right temperament for it, you right. can't teach them that. Yeah. How old is your German Shepherd? He's a rescue. We think he was around a year old when we got him. We've had him for about a year and a half. So... He's he's somewhere around two two and a half years old now. We think he's still very puppyish. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're that's that's part of it as well is kind of dealing with some of that that young adult energy and and teaching him that no he he doesn't have to freak out and go into zoomies every time <laughs> he gets excited about something. <laughs> but 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 it's a requirement. <laughs> But yeah, he's he's a very very sweet dog, and I and I hope we will eventually get to the point where he and I can become a, t- a therapy animal team. Yeah. Oh, fun. What is it that you have grown to love about German Shepherds? A, a lot of it has to do with the one that we started with, um, just the nature of her personality. Um, I'm very fond of their focus, e- even with the, the the current dog, who is again still very young and and can be kind of scatterbrained. Their ability to focus on things, their loyalty, and you know, pretty much all dogs are loyal. But when you're dealing with a German Shepherd, you are certainly you're you're dealing with something that's been specifically bred for in the breed mm-hmm. and and just their their general their presence their ability to be with you all three of our german shepherds have had very different personalities but it, but they've all had that strong sense of you you are my people mm-hmm. this is my home this is this is where i am meant to be and and i will look after you mm-hmm. one way or another you know our our first german shepherd was she was not terribly bright, which is unusual for a German Shepherd. Um, but she was very, very she was very dedicated to us, particularly to my husband, who was absolutely her person. And our second one, and all of our German Shepherds have been rescued. So it's just we that's what we choose to do. Yeah. Um, our second one had been trained as a protection dog, and her her owner had surrendered her when he found himself unable to take care of her so we have a little bit of her background so she had she really had that intense focus her obedience was excellent you know she was she was very good about defending the home making sure that we were safe in every circumstance <laughs> she actually would have been a terrible therapy dog because she didn't like strangers very much uh-huh. um but but that but she also had that sense of she could be incredibly affectionate and loving and and there was something about we had talked about after we lost her um we talked about getting a small a smaller breed dog the next time and after a few months we were like no we kind of miss having that that big dog presence the the solidness of the german shepherd that sense of focus and we ended up getting this guy now he may be the one who cures us of our large dog <laughs> fixation because imagine imagine the energy of a puppy and a hundred pound dog who's extremely strong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, but but we we love him very much, and and again, I his his sweetness is just it's one of the nicest things I've ever experienced. I'm very grateful he's with us. 
Oh, I love it. What's his name? His name is Fezzik. Oh, neat. Like the gym. That is the, he's named after the giant in The Princess Bride. Oh. And the reason for that is that he's very big. He's mm-hmm. very strong. He, he is very affectionate and loyal with the people that he cares about. And he's not really a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I guess I never realized that was that giant's name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So that was, he... He, he came with a name that the rescue had given him, which didn't quite fit. And we're like, oh, we, we need, we need a, a few days. And he, he indicated very quickly that these were his characteristics. We were like, this is the perfect name for him. So. That is lovely. I like big dogs too. And that's kind of like the temperament that I prefer in dogs. Like not to be overly bright, but sweet. <laughs> Smart <laughs> well, enough. It's, you know, I, I, again, I, I mentioned the, the poodle that my family had when I was a teenager and just really, really scary smart. And you would not think a four pound dog could mm-hmm. be as calculating and devious as she was. And I say that with all love, um, but she really was. And it, and, and it was a challenge to deal with, with some of that cleverness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, a dog who is not the brightest does come with its own challenges. But at the same time, you at least know that they're not plotting against you. <laughs> yes, they're not like trying to figure out how to unlock the deadbolt and you yeah, know, open exactly. the door and all that. So you mentioned early on something about having the right temperament. And I think a lot of people, if they have a generally friendly dog, you know, without any obvious aggression, most people think, oh, my dog is sweet and friendly. They would be a great therapy dog. I just need to get it, you know, registered or certified mm-hmm. or whatever. But what really is important when it comes to temperament that may, maybe people might not think about? Um, we we describe the quality, the specific quality that we're looking for in therapy dogs as an affiliative nature, and that that covers a few different things. It covers not just that that sweetness and you know willingness to be around people, but it means an actual desire to interact with people, which is one of the things that I see in my dog. He loves everyone. Mm -hmm. Every single person is a potential new friend. He loves other animals. When we have people over to our house, he will try to follow them out the door because he doesn't want (laughs) want them to leave. Um, That's that's the kind of temperament that we're looking for. And And that they're comfortable with new experiences because most therapy animals will, at least at the beginning, they'll be going to places that are are very strange to them that have unusual smells, unusual sounds, things that they haven't seen before. Um, and we want to be sure that they can adjust to that very easily, um, that they're comfortable with traveling, with harness, harness and leash use, and that, that they're good with some, some basic obedience skills. And again, you can teach most dogs obedience, but some of them, it will be more of a challenge than others. So dogs that have that temperament and take to obedience training really easily are going to be pretty much ideal candidates as therapy dogs. Right, right. So if you were to pick a puppy, a dog from puppyhood, what would you be looking for? Do you have any tips on that? Like, you know, if you were to communicate with a breeder that I want a dog that can do therapy? Um, generally, people will, will want to look for that, that kind of friendly, um, engaging nature. The, the, puppy, the puppy in the litter who, you know, you walk into the room and they walk over to you and wag their tail and, and ask you to pet them. That, that's a dog where you've got a good start for mm-hmm. a potential therapy dog. And, you know, the, the, puppy, 
that's not to say that that puppies that may be a little more shy, a little more withdrawn, can't be therapy dogs. But in, but if you see that early indication of that affiliative nature, that desire to interact with people, that's mm-hmm. a good starting place. What about energy? You know, if a dog is very high energy, but friendly versus more mellow, but friendly. That is not in and of itself an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we screen for in our evaluation process, that's part of our registration, is what what the animal's energy level is like and how the handler manages that energy level. And we have, we have, a, pro, we have a rating system for teams, and we also have some qualifications that help guide them in choosing where they're going to visit. So a very high energy dog may be great working with teenagers in you know, a school program or, or some kind of recreational program. They would not necessarily be as good in an assisted living facility where they may be dealing with seniors who, who have to be concerned about, you know, if they might get knocked over or bumped into. Um, a more mellow dog may be great for those quieter situations. It, one of the, the purposes of our registration process is to help therapy animal teams figure out what's going to be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do want to make sure that everyone's going to enjoy it. A dog that's going to bounce around a lot may not be right for certain settings. Mm-hmm. A dog that is very mellow may not be right for certain settings. Figuring out what what the animal's personality and preferences are and how the handler works with those is one of the things that we're guiding them with through our registration process. Yeah, and I think the key there is that the animal and the handler are a team. It's not so much I'm holding the leash and the dog is just knowing what to do and does everything correctly. There is a there's a team effort and there's yep. there's knowledge that the handler needs, right? Um, yes. In the past, when I was involved with pet partners, it was in the Delta Society days when the name mm-hmm. was that. And at that time, you offered training classes that came with a workbook. Is that still part of the registration process? Yes. Um, the we we stress that we're working with therapy animal teams you know the the focus is going to be on the animal because everybody wants to pet the dog right. um but the handler is a crucial part of the process because their role is to advocate for the animal to make sure that the animal is safe that the people they're visiting with are safe that the animal is visiting in the right setting that they end the visits if it's not working for the animal or the animal's getting stressed so the the very first part of our registration process once someone begins says I would like to register with pet partners is they'll take an, an educational course in how to be a therapy animal handler and we offer that online so that people can take it anywhere um, but it is also possible in some locations to take it in person with uh, one of our volunteer instructors who's been specially trained and licensed to present this material. And it comes with a reference guide that they can refer to um, at, at any time. We encourage all of our volunteers to make sure they have a copy of our handler guide so that they can refer to it if they need to. And that information covers things like advocating for your animal, watching for their stress signals, um, role-playing situations that you might encounter on a visit, and then other things relating to the visit that people don't always immediately think about, such as infection control. Mm-hmm. That's an important part of our, our program and our policies. Um, good strategies for visiting, um, confidentiality and and respecting the people that you're visiting with because that's important too. A lot of times you are visiting with people in healthcare settings 
and they may not want that information shared elsewhere, making sure that you respect that is, is good. Um, working with various types of clients, respecting their abilities and their circumstances, and how to approach facilities if you're interested in starting to visit at a location that doesn't currently have a visiting program. So all of these things are part of what we help teach the handlers as part of the registration process. And they go through that before they get to the evaluation part. We want to make sure they have all that information before we take them to the evaluation stage where we test how the handler and the animal work together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important that you share that because I think in a lot of people's minds, I have the friendly dog, you know, Mm -hmm. I have, I've passed a CGC, so I'm ready to go. And there's so much more about each understanding the facility and the population that Mm -hmm. you work with that you guys train on that I think is really valuable. And so going through an organization like Pet Partners, um, and there's a few others that probably teach similar, is really important if you want to do it well. Um, we assume that friendly dogs want to be loved on and petted and adored all day. But as you mentioned briefly, like sometimes that can be stressful depending on the mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. And and even, even very friendly dogs can have preferences in how they want to be petted. And if someone pets them in a way they don't like, that can stress them out. That could cause them to have a negative reaction. And we don't want that to happen. So th- this is... An example of where the handler comes in is the handler can say, oh, my dog's a little sensitive about having her head petted, but she loves it. If you rub her shoulders or you scratch her her hips, she, those are the ways that she loves to be petted. And, mm-hmm. that, and that way, they can make sure that the dog is happy with the interaction. The people who are petting the dog aren't being put in any kind of risk. And the handler is managing the whole thing so that everybody's going to be safe. Um, one of the things that I'd like to say is that we are providing a, a form of healthcare. Yes. You know, we we are involved in the healthcare business um, with so many of our of our teams visiting at hospitals and other healthcare facilities, and therefore we have to make sure that we're considering these issues of safety and well being for the human clients as well as for the animals, and that's why we focus on the these issues of why the handler is so important. You know. Again, everyone focuses on the dog, but the handler's role is really crucial in making sure that that's safe. And in things like infection control, making sure that your animal is healthy when you visit, that they're up to date on all their vaccinations and requirements, that they're not going to potentially bring in something that is infectious. That's why we require uh, all therapy dogs to be bathed within 24 hours before a visit. That way they're making sure that the animal's clean and not carrying anything in on, on their coat. Mm-hmm. All of these things that help make sure that we're providing this interaction that is intended to have positive health benefits for people. We want to make sure that we are not doing anything that is going to detract from that positivity. Right, right. What would you say are the most common therapy um, venues or situations that more people participate in? Um, hospitals are still a, a significant proportion of mm-hmm. the area of the, the areas where people visit. The hospital facilities in many ways were, were pioneers of this sort of thing. A lot of hospitals have, you know, their own visiting programs set up and they choose to have their teams register with pet partners because they know they can trust our standards. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of work with seniors at assisted living facilities and that, and that kind of thing. Veterans are very popular with our teams, and we recently signed an agreement with Veterans Administration, which allows veterans 
uh, health facilities to encourage therapy animal teams to come visit there uh, as long as they meet the standards outlined in our standards of practice uh, publication. So that's a, another opportunity for people to get involved with that. We also see a lot of teams working in children's reading programs. This is, this is increasingly popular uh, because there is evidence that reading to an animal helps children become more confident with their reading abilities because the animal doesn't judge them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the animal will, will sit or lie quietly and listen. And the animal also uses a certain incentive. You know, you, if, you, if you read to the animal, you also get to pet and interact with the animal. And that can be a very positive thing for a lot of children. Um, so those are, those are the, probably the most common types of facilities that we see. But honestly, if there is any circumstance where the presence of an animal can help improve the well-being of a, of a human, you're likely to find a therapy animal team there. Mm-hmm. We have teams visiting in court facilities, doing workplace well-being, airports and other transit facilities, every kind of rehabilitative circumstance you can think of, um, stress relief days at high schools and university campuses. Uh, we, we are fairly certain that we don't we don't have any idea of the full range of facilities where our teams visit because there are so many opportunities. Yeah, it's it's really cool how many ways dogs can help yeah. bring joy to people. Um, my late Roscoe and I were an animal-assisted therapy team through Pet Partners, and that was a long time ago. Once I had kids, there was no time for that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Um, we, yeah, we did that for two to three years, I think. And what I found is that he was a much better therapy dog when people came into our space versus when he went into a new space. So going into a new place stimulated his little sniffer so much that Mm -hmm. all he wanted to do was sniff and explore and he couldn't care less about the people sometimes. But if we had a small space to explore and then people came into that room, he really was focused on the person. So it's, it's little things like that that you don't realize necessarily about your dog until you're out there and maybe you try out different Mm -hmm. kinds of places. Um, He was also very food motivated and that could be hugely (laughs) distracting if people, he just didn't care about anything else. And he liked to eat tissues. So in nursing homes, if, if a lot of people carry like tissues with them and he would just be really distracted by that. So he made a really good office dog if um, that worked out well because he would settle and then people would come and he'd be happy to greet them and, and spend time with them. But he's already settled inside that area. We also did pretty well when we visited a juvenile detention center. That was kind of neat. It was harder for me to try to figure out how to interact with these kids than for him. <laughs> um, and I used to work in a hospital, and I helped that hospital develop a therapy dog protocol. And we did some inpatient visits for a while, but I'm kind of a germaphobe, and so I didn't like the potential. <laughs> I didn't like the – it was awkward for me to go to room – from room to room. And he was really interested in sniffing the room and with the patient in the bed. Sometimes that was just awkward and not, didn't work out well. Uh, We did some of the reading with kids at our library. We visited, we live like less than a mile away from a university. So we did some of that during finals week or dead week. They had dogs visit. Um, Trying to think of what else we, that we did that was unusual. I think that was about it. Um, And my current dog now She's nine, and she would not have made a good therapy dog in her younger years. But now that she's older and more mellow, she comes into my office, and I have clients that come in and love to pet her. 
So in that situation, she does wonderful. If she were to go into a situation where there's multiple dogs, she would be very wound up and wouldn't do a good job. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, even if your dog is very high energy now, it might be that in a few years when they've mellowed out, they might do better at this kind of thing, even if they're not necessarily ideal at this time. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, one of the requirements of our program is that our teams reevaluate every two years if they want to continue their registration. And part of the reason we do that is that the animals do change as they get older. You know, a, a dog who is very high energy and loves visiting with, with kids and doing high energy activities with kids when they're two may be much lower energy, more mellow, more more inclined to do something quiet where they spend time in an office one-on-one or visiting seniors in a, in a in a quiet facility. The evaluation can help gauge that and help guide the handler in, you know, yes, your your dog loved going to the the kids playgroup when she was 2. Now she seems a, a little more you know, not not as fond of the the loud noises, multiple people crowding her. Maybe she'll enjoy it more if you become an an office visit dog and do more of the one on one thing. So that's that's one of the ways that we support our standards of safety is to provide this evaluation to help gauge how the team's skills have developed and grown and how the animal has changed over time. And it makes a it I think it makes a really big difference in how successful our teams can be at visiting. Um, and really helping people without bringing any of the risks that can come if you haven't done this kind of consistent evaluation of a team. Right. Yeah, that's very, very wise to recheck every now and then and see see what the dog is up to. This episode is sponsored by Adina Pearson Nutrition. That's right. When I'm not talking doodle, I'm helping women of all ages find peace and joy with food. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in eating disorders, emotional eating, and breaking free from yo-yo dieting. If you're tired of food controlling your life or simply feel confused about what, when, or how you're supposed to eat, I can help you restore peace, joy, and confidence to your eating. While I'm based in Washington, telehealth technology allows me to work with clients through many areas of the United States. And if you do live in Washington, I accept most insurance plans. Visit Adina Pearson Nutrition online to learn more at adinapearson.com. Don't spend another day fighting with food and your body. Reach out today to start your journey toward a healthy life that's free of food worries. You go to great lengths to take care of your doodle's health. Don't forget to invest in your health and happiness too. Now, Back to stress, what are some signs of stress that somebody might notice in their dog while they're doing therapy? We really encourage handlers to have a good base knowledge of their dog's behavior, personality, um, things they don't like uh, when they come to us. That's why we require people to have lived with or been working with a dog for at least six months before they register with us and why all dogs need to be at least a year old because that gives time for them to figure out their own personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, But things such as frequent yawning, licking their lips when there's not any food around, what what the tail is doing, what their overall posture is, if they're if they're hunching and keeping their head down and keeping their tail down, they may be feeling stressed or uncomfortable. 
some dogs will will tell their handlers when they're ready to go. They'll start looking at the door, or mm-hmm. they'll or they'll start moving in that direction, or or tugging on their leash when they wouldn't typically do that in a visiting circumstance. We do offer a supplemental course uh, that our volunteers can take, and that is available to the public on canine body language, specifically to help people better interpret these signals that their animals can offer. Um, because it is, it's very important that you be aware of when, when your animal is getting stressed out or getting tired so that you can choose to, you know, a, a dog, a dog who normally visits for the full two hours and is energetic and happy the full time may be feeling a little under the weather or may have some, you know, there may be some other form of stress and they'll start showing these stress signals at about the 45 minute mark and the handler can say, oh, you know what? He's not having a good day today. We're going to go ahead and end today's visit early and we'll come back next week. Mm-hmm. And that, again, supports that safety level, making sure that the animal is not going to have a bad reaction because they're stressed out or tired or not feeling great. Yeah, yeah. How many locations or um, testing locations are there and throughout the country? Is it pretty easy for somebody to find a pet partner's um, group? Um, it depends on the location. Our program is available nationwide. That is, you can be a Pet Partners volunteer in any state in the U.S. Um, and also in Canada and in several other countries. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes. Um, but the, the crucial thing is whether there is a team evaluator available to conduct that in-person screening. Uh, team evaluators are volunteers who give their time to do this. We provide them with special training so that they are able to, to successfully do the evaluation, follow all of the, the policies and procedures and, and um, exercise examples that we're looking for. Um, if you're in a large urban area, for the most part, it's going to be easier to find a team evaluator. If you live further outside an urban area or in some states, um, mostly in the the interior west and the midwest, it'll be a little more challenging to find an evaluator. Um, the, the good thing is that you only need to do the evaluation once every two years, you know, the, the first time, and then again, roughly every two years if you want to continue your registration with that animal. And we provide a lot of tools to help. You know, we want to make sure that people can find evaluators. So we provide them with a searchable directory. We provide them with the ability to find and sign up for their evaluation through our website. So the really the only piece of this that is dependent on something other than the internet is the team evaluator being in a location, but we provide tools to help people connect with evaluators so that they do have the opportunity to do it. And we're always looking to add more evaluators, to increase evaluators in areas where we are short on them. Um, While we prefer our evaluators to have experience as pet partners handlers, there are circumstances in which we'll consider evaluator candidates who have not been registered with pet partners. And if someone is interested in that, they're welcome to get in touch with us. Oh, awesome. So the website is petpartners.org. Yes. The other one is like an insurance company. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just going there to figure it out. So petpartners.org, and I'll link to that in the show notes, and you can look for your zip code and see what you find in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any significant differences between Pet Partners as an organization and some other organizations out there that register therapy dogs? On the whole, our standards are more conservative than 
the other the other nationally based organizations nationally mm-hmm. and and regionally there are a couple of organizations that focus on specific regions but don't ne- necessarily work nationally um, the the requirement for the reevaluation every two years is fairly unique to us and our overall standards for things like permitted length of visits for hygiene and grooming for specifics of infection control, including we have a prohibition on raw protein diets for therapy animals. Um, These are all things that are much more conservative than some of the other therapy animal organizations. They're decisions that we've made uh, Mm -hmm. in, in terms of our concern about being as safe as possible and offering reassurance to facilities and to clients that visiting with one of our our therapy animals is going to be as safe and pleasant an experience as possible. We are, our feeling is that there's room in the field for everyone. Every organization chooses their own focus, their own standards. We may not be the right fit for every therapy animal team. Mm -hmm. And we don't expect that we will be the right fit for, for every therapy animal team. Um, And that's okay. That's, yeah. There are other organizations, there are other places that, that people can work with, but we hope that people will at least look at our program and our requirements. We have, we have such a broad scope, we have so many resources to help support our volunteers that we feel we can bring the background and the experience and the scope of our program to bear in ways that other organizations may not have access to in the same way. So we hope that people will Again, at least look at our program and ask us questions, get in touch with us. We're happy to help and determine whether whether we're the right fit for them if they've got a, a dog they think would be a fantastic therapy dog. Yeah, and I know with your organization, at least in the past, and you can clarify, um, that when you were acting as a volunteer through pet find pet partners, <laughs> <laughs> so many pet words through pet partners, you you as a team are covered by liability insurance, correct? That is correct. That is one of the things that we offer, um, and that covers the team during the time that they are visiting, as long as they are in compliance with all of our policies and procedures. So that that it's a general commercial liability insurance policy. It provides reassurance to facilities that if something should happen, and it's extraordinarily rare that we have any incidents, but if something should happen, there will be coverage to help address any circumstances of it. And that that provides reassurance to facilities, and it also provides some peace of mind for the handlers that by going through our screening process, we've confirmed that that team and that animal are very unlikely to cause an incident. But if it should happen, because you can never guarantee everything when animals are involved, things will be addressed and everyone will be okay. Yeah, that's lovely. So one last question um, before I open it up for anything else you might want to add. If someone were to decide to do this and they signed up and they found like classes, how, how long is the course if it's done with a pet partner's um, training team? The in-person workshop is typically about eight hours. Um, and there's usually, there's usually a, a lunch break in the middle of it. So it's an um, all day kind of workshop? Or it is, it is an, it's an all day workshop. We, okay. we do it, we do it all in, all in one setting because the, the lessons are all contextual. Mm-hmm. Everything relates to everything else. So it's better if it's done all at once so that you can keep that context in mind. Mm-hmm. Our online course is 
is broken into a series of lesson and you do have the ability to complete a part of it and come back to it later. But we do encourage people to complete it in one sitting if possible, which for most people is not more than three hours or so. Mm -hmm. And again, because of that, that contextual nature, the advantage that the online course has over the workshop is that with the online course, you can go back and review the earlier lessons as you're going through it. So, and, and how long, do you have any idea of how long most people take to go from like signing up to passing the evaluation? Um, the average is something around four months. Mm-hmm. Again, there, there are a lot of variables. You know, some people will have more difficulty finding an, evalu- an available evaluation. You know, a, a person who lives in an area where there are a lot of evaluations and they can schedule theirs quickly may be able to do it in as little as two weeks. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's having more difficulty or has other things going on in their life, it may take a few months. But yeah, our, our looking at our data has indicated that around four months is about the average. Okay. That sounds like a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. We had the closest evaluator to me, you know, 13 years ago or however long, was three hours away. And then two years later, there was somebody just one hour away. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> more. Yeah more grew in that time. Um, what are some of the aspects of the valuation that you could tell us about? What are the things that you're going to, that a team is going to be tested on? The, the purpose of the evaluation is, is to see how the animal reacts to these situations and how the handler manages the animal and the interactions during these situations. So we're checking for things like how they do in an unfamiliar setting, how they do with meeting one stranger, with meeting a couple of strangers, with being petted by multiple people, uh, how they react and recover if there's a sudden unexpected loud noise, how everything is handled when they're crowded by several people at once and petted all at the same time, how they react to people who may have differences in movement or behavior or who may be wearing things like hats because that, that's a known thing for some dogs. They don't react well to people in hats. Um, and then things such as basic obedience skills, how well they do at leaving something when told to do so. Because, you know, you, you mentioned that your dog, that your Roscoe <laughs> loved, to, loved to, to chew on tissues. We, we screen for, for something like that where there might be an, an item that would just be too much of a distraction. He barely passed the, the test <laughs> where there was like a toy in the middle yep. of the room and we had to walk past it. That was our biggest struggle every single time. Yeah. So so it's so for, for dogs, you know, basic obedience, sit, stay, come down, leave it. Um, and then these other things that have to do with the the evaluation is intended as a, as a simulation of a relatively typical visit. You know, mm-hmm. we, we can't evaluate for every circumstance, um, but we can evaluate for a lot of the things that we know they're likely to encounter, such as the loud noises, how they do around things like crutches or wheelchairs with groups of people crowding and petting them, and how well the, the handler manages those interactions. Because it's it's not just about you know, it's, it's great if your dog recovers quickly from the loud noise, but how does the handler manage the dog in that moment? Mm-hmm. How does the handler manage the dog if the dog is having some difficulty with leaving the interesting item? Things like that are, are part of what's being gauged during the evaluation. Um, a lot of people get very, very nervous about, about the evaluation, and we always encourage people, 
try not to be nervous because your dog will pick up on your nervousness. <laughs> this, this is not... The, our evaluation is not in any way a judgment on the worth of your animal or the worth of you as a handler. It's simply gauging how you're doing in a specific circumstance. And not everyone passes the evaluation the first time. It does happen. We encourage people to try again. Evaluators should give feedback. If, if a team doesn't pass their evaluation on the first try, the evaluator should give them some feedback on, on the areas where, where they can focus so that they will do better. The vast majority of people who don't pass the first time and retake the evaluation do pass it the second time with that feedback. So our, our evaluation is not intended to be an insurmountable obstacle. It's meant to be a way of gauging your abilities and also showing you how you can be the best therapy animal handler with your dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that ab- about the whole process to really ensure that people are ready and understand mm-hmm. where they need more work. And it's not just, you know, yeah, your dog's nice. Go forth and thera- <laughs> therapize the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there anything else that you think we need to know um, that I haven't asked you about? Um, I can't think of anything specific. Um, I, I One of the things I like to talk about is how the the balance of the warm and fuzzy, the literal warm and fuzzy of the dog, um, but also that that emotional sense of it's so great that people get these benefits from interacting with animals balances with this focus on safety and effectiveness. And you know, people will will sometimes say, "Well, I just I just want to take my dog and I want to visit at the the library down the street." And this seems like a lot of work, mm-hmm. but we stress to them. This work is making sure that everybody is safe and that you can walk in and say, I'm a Pet Partners registered therapy animal team with my dog. We know that we're meeting some of the highest standards in the field. We're confident that we can, br- that we can bring this effect to this facility and to these people safely without any worry. We want people to be really proud of being a Pet Partners team. And we work very hard to make sure that our standards and everything that we do is supporting that so that every Pet Partners team who goes out and visits somewhere can say, we know that we're providing some of the best animal-assisted interventions that are available. Awesome. Yeah, that's very, very important, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you. I appreciated the opportunity. Have a wonderful rest of your week. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.